afternoon and welcome to our show, We're Talking Golf. My name is Douglas Maida and I'm your host for today's episode. Joining me today is Cheyenne Gustosp, our co-host, and she'll be joining us for the rest of this season. Today's show is being recorded from our studio in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We are produced by the World of Golf, and you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.worldofgolf.org or on our social media platforms of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now on LinkedIn as well. For those of you elsewhere, including Asia, you can also follow us on Weibo and WeChat. Now, before we get into today's show, I would like to welcome you, our listeners and followers from around the world that listen to our show. Because without you and your support, we would not be able to bring you this show. So thank you for your ongoing support. And hi, Cheyenne, how are you? I'm good, Douglas. Terrific, terrific. Okay, now I have a little bit of announcement I'd like to share with everyone. Earlier this month, we were named one of the top 40 golf podcasts to follow by Feedspot.com. And for a new podcast show like ours, we're very proud of that accomplishment. And we would like to thank all of you, our listeners, for helping to make that possible. Yay! (laughs) All right. Moving on up. (laughs) Yes. Today, we will be welcoming back two very special guests, Beth Ann Nichols from Golf Week and Sophie Walker, who was on tour and now is an analyst for Sky Sports in the UK. Today's topics will include a preview of the 2021 LPGA season, which is very exciting. We will look at the early favorites for the Tokyo Olympics and the Solheim Cup. Great. And before we get to that, we'd like to take a short... That's great. Now, before we get on to our show, we have to break for a short message from our sponsor. And we'll be right back. You're listening to our podcast show. We're talking golf. Our show is produced by the world of golf. You can find us on the web at www.worldofgolf.org. We are independently produced, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Now back to our show. Here are your co-hosts, Douglas and Cheyenne. All right. Welcome back to the show. And uh, we'd like to introduce our guests, Bethann Nichols and Sophie Walker. So welcome back. Thank you. Hey, everybody. <laughs> great, great. Um, so it's been a little while since we uh, last connected on our podcast. It was uh, the preview show for the U.S. Women's Open. Um, what did you guys think? Was it a as expected or a good show? Or well, a player I'd never heard of won, so it definitely wasn't as expected. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, uh, just came out of left field and. Cleaned house or cleaned up on the yeah, last day, so that was a wild. I wasn't expecting a Monday finish. There was a, there were there were a lot of things, but uh, but no, it was a, it was a great week. I mean, in terms of like buzz and interest surrounding the event, I thought it was you know the most talked about women's event in a long time that didn't have a major controversy. <laughs> uh, you know, like when we think about that, you think of like the Solheim cup in 2015, you know, it was Suzanne Patterson, you know, but there wasn't anything like that. It was just the beginning of the week had a lot of buzz just because it was the women's open and there was a great uh, women worth watching campaign surrounding it. And, uh, and people got on board. So it was cool. Yeah. Terrific. Terrific. And how was your break? Uh, Sophie, did you have a good break over the holidays? 
Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was okay. It was very different. Uh, we were we were locked down properly in November. We kind of got some hope that Christmas would would be reasonably normal, but then that kind of got stopped um, a few days before. And then we went back into lockdown on December the 30th. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it feels a little bit like Groundhog Day. I'm actually pretty pleased that I don't play golf like on tour anymore because I think this is really quite stressful for players, not really knowing what's going on and should they be practicing. So I understand a lot of them have been out in Dubai thinking that they might be starting and now that they're not and it's a lot of uncertainty in a year where we kind of thought, well, we hoped we'd be back to normal, but it's very much not the case in Europe at the moment. Let's hope things will get back to normal a little sooner rather than later. Um, so let's start, uh, if we can. Let's talk about the Diamond Resorts uh, Tournament of Champions. There was um, a very uh, strong Sunday field showing. Uh, a lot of uh, the top Americans showing on the final group and uh, a good one, two, three finish, a little playoff special and uh, the quarter sisters. So what did you think of it? Uh, did you get up to the site at all, Beth Ann? Yeah, I was there all week. Um, it was a, a fantastic showing uh, on the final day. Um, ob- obviously, Saturday with Jessica Corda's 60 was uh, quite impressive. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, I think even more unbelievable that it was only the fifth 60 in, believable. in uh, LPGA history, which is another sad topic. But um, <laughs> uh, I, when I look at, uh, at, at the, the final pairing, I mean, it's what we've been waiting a long time for, right? To have the Corda sisters in in the last group. And then of course you had Danielle Kang alongside them um, for a fantastic all American pairing uh, grouping, I should say. Um, And it it went right down to the finish. It was, uh, it was everything we could have hoped for, except for the whole, you know, celebrity component in the middle of it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what did you think of that celebrity component? It's come in for a little bit of flack um, in some quarters for having kind of wasted the opportunity to showcase women's golf a little bit. Yeah. Again, I think it, it came down to to the groupings in the end. They tried something different this year in that they put the three LPGA players together in the final group and then the three top celebrities in the penultimate group. And unfortunately, when it switched to NBC and there was only an hour of coverage on NBC, you know, there are only six players left on the course for a lot of that. And so you had no choice but to show the celebrities while and, and it ends with a drivable par four, a par five and a par three. So it was like the perfect recipe for for waiting. And um, and and the celebrity contest wasn't compelling at all. Marty Fish was going to win. Uh, so it just kind of, you know, took away from what we'd all been waiting to see. So I think I, I don't think it's a hard fix. I like the celebrity component in the tournament. I actually think it's a lot of fun, uh, and it's hugely important to the sponsor. I just think the groupings could be done differently to solve a little bit of that problem. From a, from a, somebody who was just watching it, um, I know a lot about sports, and even I struggle with Marty Fish in terms of like you know what what he did. Right. So. Uh, I think sometimes I understand the sponsor is really keen on this um, and I get it. And obviously the sponsor pays for the TV to be fair. So they can do what they want, but I would like to have seen it as 
the pro-am finishes the day before and we get to the the real stuff kind of on Sunday. Um, we kind of had that problem in Dubai when we did the Moonlight Classic. Um, we had the pro-am format. And like the Diamond Resorts, we were very lucky that it went to a playoff because when you get the playoff, then you can get um, the grandstand finish. And I think that actually saved the event, which is ridiculous in the sense that it saved the event because those three in the final group should be box office. And um, from somebody watching and on a different time zone who, yeah, it's, it was just, it was just pretty slow and just, it, and it was exciting golf as well. Do you know what I mean? And it and it and it wasn't portrayed that that well on television for, for somebody watching it. Um, so for me, pro ams all for them, but finish them the like a day early, and then I'd have loved to have seen Brooke Henderson or someone. But also, what happens if someone would have come back from? What happens if someone would have shot sixty on that final day? We wouldn't have seen a shot. It would have been all taped. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's the truth. And like, like I mean, work, working on the on the LET, we we have limited, you know, funding for TV and stuff. So we often get in that situation, and it's not it's not the nicest situation to be in. But forgive me if I'm wrong. I thought the LPGA or whoever does the LPGA coverage had better um, cameras, uh, more people there. But it it looked like a. a I mean, a worse than an LET coverage. It, and that's, I didn't think that's what the LPGA were about, really. Um, this was, so that was this a shame. This was network but, TV. This was, this was. Right, yeah. You see, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand who does oh, yeah, network wow. TV. Yeah. Like, all we do is we just watch it on Sky. We have no idea. And I always hear that they flip-flop between sports channels and then go on national TV and, and all that type of stuff. Um for me, I can't understand how you would just flip flop around. How yeah. are you supposed to keep an audience? It makes no sense whatsoever. Um, but yeah, like you try watching it over here. Well, we don't have as many adverts <laughs> as you. So, I mean, this is what keeps me in the job having to talk over all your adverts pretty much. <laughs> uh, well, then we should keep those. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just going to say that um, they're definitely probably going to go back to the drawing board on that one. It would be nice to have the celebrities there on Sunday to still kind of show that they're present. But I completely agree with you, Sophie, to have it on the day before or on another day, not the Sunday. Um, one of the things I want to point out was that because it's also Black History Month in the U.S., February is, and Maurice Allen is um, one of the winners of The Longest Drive, and he's very, is a big advocate for the minority community, especially the African-American community, to um, encourage young people to play the game and just bring awareness to the sport um, through his lens. So he, I don't know if any of you saw, but he had his shafts redone, and on the shafts it was um black lives matter on one side and on the other side on every single shaft was like five or six of the unfortunate people that got killed by the shooting so in honor of their names he had every single person's name on every single shaft of his club and it's just sad to even think he had like four or five on one shaft you know so just to think there's so much he's bringing awareness to through the lens and through sport um 
about Black Lives Matter. And so I just wanted to kind of bring that to if people didn't get to see it. I know he has it on his Instagram and he's quite a big voice in the golf community um, mm-hmm. to try and bring more awareness. Well, in that case, talk about it on the television. Do you know what I mean? Like there was a lot of time to fill there, you know, rather than... <laughs> it would have been nice if yeah, he got so some airtime on that. I'm, I'm all for, like, I'm all for promoting that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think he has a lot of frustration with the Golf Channel and other, obviously, media platforms um, because it's the whole Black Lives Movement is the fact that, you know, that there is no attention, that they don't, there is no coverage for the Black golfer as well within the sport. So he tries to bring awareness, but nobody ever is willing to kind of bring light to it. So it's to your point that you would, you know, you would have liked to see something like that, but he's fighting for it. And there's a lot of them out there that are trying to like get more access and coverage and awareness about it. But I think it'll take time in the industry. Yeah. Well, speaking from a Sky Sports perspective, um, uh, I think it must have been, I was working that month. So would it be in October or November was ours in the UK and we were sent um, what's going out on on the channel on the YouTube channels we had to research it and we were going to be asked questions about it like it was part of the program we specifically was put in there so um, yeah I can only speak from my point of view that it was pushed it was pushed hard on Sky Sports Golf that's nice to hear <laughs> what about that Sunday final grouping was that a big day for uh, American golf and, uh, or was it a little bit of a, I mean, we've been talking about it. Was it a little bit of an opportunity lost, but still a pretty good day for American golf to see some of the three biggest names in women's golf in the States competing for the title? Yeah, I think it's fair to say it was both. Um, <laughs> it was a great, it was a great thing, but it was an opportunity lost um, just because, I mean, it was only an hour on network and there, and as we said earlier, there just wasn't enough, there weren't enough shots shown. (laughs) Um, I mean, there, there were seven, there are seven or there were last I counted last week. I don't think it's changed. Uh, South Koreans ranked in the top 15 and none of them were there. So, you know, an American had, if American had to win, if they're going to make hay and make, take advantage of this opportunity, you know, they, they, they had to do it if they're going to make any ground on, on the South Korean stars, um, because they were gone. So, and understandably so, you know, a lot of them are going to start in a couple weeks, uh, at the game bridge, and then some will come back, um, for the Kia classic. So it's, you know, an unprecedentedly short, I don't know if that's a word or not (laughs) short off season. Uh, so, you know, they, they chose to, uh, to skip that, that, uh, opening event. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to seem like a short off season compared to 2020. So, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jessica Corda, what do you think? Was this a statement win for her? Because she's kind of, you know, she came on tour. I mean, obviously, she was the only Corda on tour, and she was known for having a, a really good long game as well. And then over the last couple of years, it's kind of like she's fallen back a little bit with some injury, and and then uh, playing a little bit in Nelly's shadow. Um, so was this a good statement win for her kind of reannouncing to him that, uh, she's the one to sit at the head of the table in the quarter household or in, in, uh, golf in general? I, I think the quarter household, all three of the siblings are pulling each other along together, really. So I think there's, 
a definite yeah. added added to that. Um, I don't think you can. I mean, Jesse's operation on her face was massive. Like that has got to put yeah. you back a long way. Um, and it was the timing of, of, of Nelly coming through, I suppose. And, and she's, you know, she kind of says like, oh yeah, she'll be better than me. She does play the big sister role quite well, but I think now Nelly has, has almost grown up. Jess can start, um, getting her career, I suppose, back on track from, from her injuries. And I don't think she's coming out of Nelly's shadow. The Corda sisters are very much two very good golfers as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I think it'll, you know, I think Jess will be pleased with that win over Nelly. I, I do. I think, you know, she obviously shot that 60 and Nelly started to come back at her during the last few holes and she, and she held off. And um, and the way she held that put in the playoff, that's got to give her a lot of confidence. Okay, like you said, you know, the, the field wasn't his strongest, but a win's a win, right? And um, it's always nice to get the season off to a good start. So I can see them pulling each other through and it'll be nice to be at events where they're, where they're both in form because I think golf needs rivalries and a sister rivalry, I think is a great thing to follow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think the only other one in uh, golf today would have been the uh, Jutanagarn sisters at the U S open. They came kind of close playing in that, uh, on that Saturday group, I believe it was. And, that was a bit of an experience for them, but yeah, yeah. And we don't get that with the Hendersons because obviously uh, the one's caddying for the other, but <laughs> um, no, I just, just that wasn't the gratuitous name drop. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the only other sister group out okay, there that I'm aware okay. of and they're in a different playing different roles so <laughs> oh no there, there's a few we've got the metro sisters uh swiss that's sisters true, that's true. Um, so they kind of went at it in uh, swiss actually in the swiss open so that was really cool like it wasn't switzerland's not well known for its golf but um yeah we had the two metro sisters so there are a few and, and i'm sure there's more because whenever they pop up on the commentary we go through a lot of them so it is amazing how these siblings mm-hmm. kind of pull each other through mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And and Seb's no uh, slouch either now on the court. So following after his father and getting a little bit of the um, light shine shone on him. There's some good genes in that family for sport, isn't there? I mean. <laughs> for sure. I was just like sitting here like, man, three kids, all pros. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's kind of uh, switch gears a little bit now that we've started the 2021 season who are some of the players that you think we should be looking for both on uh, LPJ and the uh, LET you want to kick it off Bethan? yeah I mean I, th- I think when they come back uh, Se Young and Jin Young Ko uh, will be going at it and that'll be a lot of fun um, it looks like Jin Young probably won't be back until the California swing but um, Se Young will be back in Florida so a little bit of a head start uh but i mean we we saw we saw that at the end of 2020 and what a statement jen young co made coming out and not only qualifying for cme but then taking the million dollars uh it was a quite the statement so so that's the i think that's the main uh the main rivalry uh looking ahead uh for the season um you know and, and can any of the americans um, break up the party at the top 
shall we say, um, you know, looking at Nellie or, or, or Danielle. Um, and of course, I never count out in B. And now it's an Olympic year again, <laughs> maybe, hopefully. <laughs> we'll, see. well, she seems to be she seems to have that knack for peaking for the Olympics. I was uh, observing that last year, like it was a bit of an Olympic year and here comes Inby again, just on the uprise, getting her game going. It started to show at KPMG and then, you know, here it is, Olympic year all over again. <laughs> Deja vu. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about uh, you there, uh, Sophie? Do you have any thoughts about who might be? I, I kind of, you know, I've been yeah. noticing a little bit of uh, Stephanie. Kiriaku. Yeah, so she, um, I think, Greek, um, like Cypriot. So I say um, there's a Nick Kiriakos that's a tennis player. The amount of times I get them confused, I'm like, oh, sorry. So, yeah, Steph Kiriakou is 20 years old. She's a pocket rocket from Australia. So was an amateur um, and played on the Australian tour as an amateur at the beginning of 2020 and then went and won as an amateur and, I mean, lapped the field. It was an incredible win at Bonville. So then had that decision to make of do I turn pro, do I not? Took the decision too, because that would get you. I mean, she was going to get in at the likes of Evian um, and stuff like that. So turns pro, kind of packs her bag, comes to Europe and COVID hits and she comes over for a couple of weeks and it ends up being months and months and months and just can't get home. But what a year she had. I mean, she she had a couple of really like good three week runs. So she had a, a fifth in Czech, second in Swiss, Switzerland, and then a sort of fifth in the French. So she's right up there for rookie of the year. And then she um, can't go home. So kind of travels around Europe with her dad, trying to find places that are open to practice. Comes back. Yeah. Comes back and plays in Dubai. Has a top 20, not too bad. And wow. then in Saudi, um, the Saudi international, she comes fourth. And then she finishes the year with a 63 at the uh, Saudi team to sign off with rookie of the year. Um, and it was just, it was like a really nice story to come out of last year. Obviously we had the Emily Pedersen, uh, the Sophia Popoffs, kind of the, the, the people that, we've all spoken about about a bit of a rough time and they're coming back, but it was nice to see this kid that, you know, your rookie year on tour is never easy, especially when you're Australian, because you do really pack a bag and, and you don't come home and to see how well she coped with that. And week in, week out, she was up there. I mean, she's five foot nothing. So she doesn't hit it too far, um, but puts like an absolute dream. I mean, the way her hands sit on that handle, it's like they were made for it so I, I just liked her she's got imagine an Aussie how cruisy they are and when she gives the interview and she's just not she walks around like this and 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 she became kind of one of my favorites to watch just because of she's just got like a cracking swing bit of a strong left hand but there's nothing wrong with that these days and as I say just holds everything she looks at and is just quite nonchalant when she's doing it I love the term pocket rocket. That's my favorite. <laughs> Five foot nothing, pocket rocket. <laughs> um, any other players you think might be looking to 2021 for redemption or any other storylines out there that you might think uh, will come to the fore? I think 
it's a it's a different type of year because we have no rookies this year. There's no Q school. There's nobody coming in from the, the feeder tours like the access on the LAT or, or the Symmetra tour as such. So we are there's nobody really to get to know. There's just people to get to know more, and then there's people that are, can maybe break out. Um, so yeah, it'd be I think it, to be fair, it's going to be interesting in Europe to see who plays where and you know like will the Australians come over what will happen with the South Africans with all the the, the COVID stuff so I think it's going to be more interesting to see who who comes out playing kind of half decent because I mean England golf courses are closed at the moment there's a lot of um there's a lot of uncertainty but um you know, I, I feel I feel a bit bad for the likes of Emily Pedersen, which is ridiculous because she earned a fortune last year. But she's on riding the crest of a wave and has kind of just got to sit on her hands for a good, what, five months before she tees it up again. So it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting year, and and it's going to be a really condensed year on the LAT. You know, I can see them kind of just playing five months of back to back straight out the blocks and I remember listening to Justin Rose um, when all the ma- all the majors got condensed and he struggled with it um, so there's going to be some players that thrive off playing week in week out at the highest level and some if you don't get off to a good start they're going to struggle to kind of pick it up now, Are we nervous at all because of all the lockdown in England and all of that that they're going to postpone a bunch of things? Like, have we caught wind of any of that? Or are we just wishing for the best and going for it? I mean, I'm still I'm still an LET member, so I'm still kind of, I find that, like, what's going on. So our schedule is not officially out yet. So there's not really, like, much I can truly discuss about it. But when looking at the drafts over the past few months and, and what's been coming out, I think the LET knew that this COVID wasn't going away anytime soon and was quite committed to play a lot in Europe. And as you know, by the weather, the weather in Europe doesn't get great, you know, till May time anyway. So I think most of the European-based events, which was something that the players and the board really wanted to get back into central uh, mainland Europe, which means that it helped because that meant that the season was put back already. So Australia's out of the question. That's where, I mean, even the LPGA should be in a week or two. Um, So that's gone. Uh, South Africa, with everything that's going on down there, their tour got postponed. So that is only postponed, not cancelled yet. Uh, And that's getting moved back to kind of March, April. But obviously, we'll we'll see what's going on. I've just seen that the Australian cricketers aren't going to South Africa at the moment. So uh, there's not. They, I think they made a really good decision by pushing everything back to start with. So they've given themselves a good couple of months. And even if you look at the men's European tour, they're playing these three in the Middle East, and then they go quiet as well. So everybody is more aware of maybe the the pandemic kind of how it affects different countries obviously in america there's only one country to think about so obviously i know you have states but just international travel is far from ideal right now but i i I, i'm hopeful like we we did it last year so we can do it again but like i said last time i was with you it it definitely helps to stay in these bubbles to keep the covid um 
down and suppress it for, to get in positive tests. So if these girls can like enter a bubble and basically just play a few months in a row, that's going to help. Write it out. Yeah. I think the hardest part also is a lot of international travel is canceled, like for sure in Canada, they're not even letting like plane in any international like flights come in. And I know your airports in England keep going shut, not, you know, all of that. So I think there's a lot of government officials and everyone trying to like, yeah, make at it the end of the day, point, it's, got, it's got nothing to see. do with at all. If, if the event, if you can't get there, so it, right. there's not really much you can do. Yeah. Right. Right. Fair. Um, so coming up next, what's the next event uh, you'll be attending, Beth Ann? Um, I'll be at the Gamebridge event in a couple of weeks, which is at like Nona, uh, which is a one-off. I think it's going to go back down to South Florida um, after this year, but but it's kind of exciting because there are a lot of players that live at Lake Nona or have lived at Lake Nona in the past, and uh, so it'll be kind of a cool home game for a lot of people. Um, and then the next week will be Golden Ocala, which the LPGA used to have an event there that had actually massive amounts of spectators coming over from the villages. Uh, a lot of uh, retirees. It was a it was a fun event, but I, I think that one's going to be close to spectators as well. So on the LPGA, the biggest question marks are that you know there's a spring Asian swing. So um, you know I, I don't see. The, I don't see the tournaments in China going on. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if um, Thailand and Singapore happen. Uh, you know, so so the, the typical Asian swing that happens in February and March has been kicked back to later in the spring. So, uh, but a lot of players are you know kind of holding their breath and maybe not super optimistic that those are going to happen. Right. In terms of fans, Bethan, do you think that there the LPG is going to slowly let more fans come in, or is there going to be some form of like if you've received a vaccine or had testing, or have you heard anything? So Mike Wan said in November that, or wait, December. <laughs> yeah, the, C- the CME was in, <laughs> amused at being in November. In December, um, he said that he hopes that fans will be back for the California swing in March for Kia. Uh, but that's California. I mean, that's one of the most. It depends on states, right? For yeah, you guys? California is one of the most restricted states in, in the country. Yeah. So um, and Palm Springs has a, a high elderly population for the ANA, which is a shame because this is the 50th year of the ANA. So it should be like a really big celebration. Mm. But, yeah. um, you know, I mean, I actually would be surprised if there are going to be fans. I mean, of course, Augusta right after that will have fans. But what that means, we're not I mean, that could mean like 100 patrons are allowed. In, you know? I mean, nobody really knows what what that actually means and what yeah. that's really going to look like. So um, and everybody at Augusta, I was at Augusta last year and everybody on site had been tested. So, um, you know, I don't I don't know what that's going to look like this year. On that note, we'll take a short break. And when we come back, we'll be talking Olympic Games and Solheim Cup. Thank you for joining us. You are listening to We're Talking Golf, a podcast brought to you by the world of golf. Our show has been named as one of the top 40 golf podcasts to follow in 2021. We could not achieve that without you, our listeners. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. All right. Welcome back. Um, We'll be chatting shortly about the Olympic Games and the Solheim Cup that will be held a little bit later this year. But first, 
Um, some big news coming out of the LPGA, and it's going to have some effect as well with the LET and the Ladies European Tour and the uh, uh, the close relationship now between the LPGA and, and women's European golf. And that is uh, Mike Wan's announcement earlier in the season or early in the year about him looking to move on and close this chapter, move on to a new chapter in 2021. Bethann, thoughts or you were there for the announcement. You kind of, were you there for the announcement or you kind of, yeah. yeah. Well, there wasn't really a there. They just sent, sent, out, the, <laughs> sent out the press out release. release. Eh? Yeah. There's, there's no more no. there really in, uh, in this world, but yeah, I mean, it was, um, it was shocking in terms of the timing. I mean, I don't think anyone thought that Mike Wan was long for the job. I mean, he had a contract that didn't really have a time frame, so he could get out whenever he wanted. Uh, so I, I think most players, though, didn't expect it to happen now, uh, considering that we're still navigating a pandemic. Uh, but the schedule for 2020 look, 2021 looked so good on paper. He had all the sponsors coming back. Uh, so it, you know, from a standpoint of stability, you know, it, it seemed like he was, you know, exiting the tour, uh, leaving it in, in good shape. Um, Senator press release. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, nothing on the LPGA is really long-term, uh, you know, there it's, it's a constant shift of having to get new sponsors and, and, and extend contracts and fill this hole and fill that hole. So whoever comes in next, uh, in, in my view is still, it's still such a crucial decision to keep the momentum going in the right direction because we don't know how the economy is going to respond. We don't know what things are going to look like in, in the very near future. So um, it's, it's not as critical as it was in, in, in 2009, 2010 uh, when Juan took over, but it's pretty darn close. Mm, really? Eh? Wow. I mean, if ever there was a term quit while you're ahead, I think it's there for Mike, isn't it? I, I, it was like, I got to say, it was shock waves around the players. Like my phone lit up. We were all messaging like, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Um, yeah, it's, he's a big deal. It's not often you get, you know, a commissioner that gets on so well with players and promoters. Um, it, it never happens. And and you can't keep us all happy as players. And he somehow managed to do that. Even, even on the stuff where like the Sophia Popov stuff, I'm like, what, like this is wrong, but I still don't have a bad word to say about the guy because what he's done for like the LPGA. And from an LET point of view, we aren't the luckiest tour in the world. So when this happened, we're like, oh my, it's happening again. So we apologize, LPJ. It's probably our fault. That. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's when, I mean, I've been through a few CEOs with the LET and, and the, the thing I would advise with the LPGA is that we went from um a, a woman CEO who was very approachable, got on very well with promoters, was quite, mm-hmm. had like, like it's Alex Amas, she's kind of Spanish and a bit laid back and whatever. And then we went to a guy who's from Eastern Europe who was, you know, it's right or it's wrong. And it's, and promoters just didn't get it. It was the, the flexibility, yeah. From somebody who you could have a drink with to somebody who was, you know, yeah. quite autocratic, like autocratic in the way he handles things. So I think 
that's going to be a big issue because it's relationships mm-hmm. and, and Mike's obviously spent 10 years making relationships. So the person that you get in has got to be a people's person and has got to have a black book of contacts like you would not believe um, to, to get, to keep this thing kind of, kind of going in the right direction. It's, it's worrying. I can't, I, you know, as from the play uh, from the next player and somebody that, that works in, in the tours at the moment, like we're, we're good at the minute. We're, the LET is stable. The LPGA looks like it's thriving, but it, it, it's, it's scary to think who comes in next and they've got some big shoes to fill. That's for sure. For sure. Um, I was just going to put my two cents in because I'm part of the LPGA professionals. So Mike had come on um, for our Christmas like party that we had on Zoom with all the LPGA pros. It's like 500 of us that logged in and he wore like a full suit, with like Christmas trees. And he just looks so chill and fun. And um, a couple things. The first thing is I love the fact that Sophie, you've just said that people in Europe love him because that's the vibe that when I joined the LPJ and the first impression he gave me, like coming from the NBA, I worked, you know, in football, like coming from that. And I was just like, he's likable. He's relatable. He gets it. He speaks our language. I'm like, who is this guy? And I'm like, he's the commissioner. I had no idea at that time when I first joined. And I'm like, man, I got to really like try and understand who he is or how he's built this. And for all of us to feel that and for us to see him in December live on our screens, like, and then the news breaks in January, like you said, your phone lit up, like our emails were like lighting up too. We're all super grateful for the growth of the game and all that he's done. We're all extremely sad he's leaving, but the great news is he's saying that I'm yeah. here for the year or I, whoever I, comes into transition that I can help. You know, that kind of gives me a little bit of comfort. Like he's just not dropped us and bounced and now it's like good luck find somebody to like you know kind of come in he's like no I'm here for the year let's I'll be through the interview process if you need me to let's find the person so we've received a few emails um as well to just be like hey if there's any like good candidates out there of any anyone that knows like send them our way so because I've worked in professional sports before like I've sent in a few names just to see like you know if anyone comes the people that I feel like would be amazing for the organization so it's really sad but I'm I'm I wonder what his next thing is going to be too like all of all of us are like going to be like you know where is he going (laughs) like what does he want to do is it I heard US I heard USGA it's like locked in oh that's that's our rumor over here but well um, you Brits over there like a good rumor (laughs) like a little cup of tea yeah yeah. but saying that saying that it's like it it, I'm not it's not not like he can go anywhere but he'll he'll have options like he said to this on his he said he's done this before where he's like just stopped wanted a break kind of he's a free agent and no but if you think of it in sports in general like free agents you got the power haven't you so that's like we, we see it in football all the time players wind down their contracts become a free agent and then there's bidding walls so uh, you know like I say his stock's really high and he's done 10 years I didn't actually 11 years I didn't realize it was that long so uh, yeah, yeah you know good luck to him it stops stops him from going stale and it you know it might stop the LPGA from going stale as well hopefully it'll keep moving yeah. forward Sophie what do you think about the LET I mean it, it's only a year in to this relationship and uh, whatnot between I, 
between the LPGA and the LET. Um, are you worried that there might be some sort of areas where this kind of makes the LET a little more vulnerable again? Great or, point. you know, just trying to help that LET continue to grow and develop the tour strength and whatnot? Well, not really. I mean, Mike's leaving, but the LPGA is not leaving. You've got to remember that. Like we always say over here that, you know, no one's bigger than than the club. No one's bigger than the organization. And um, yeah, we signed to the LPGA. We didn't, they didn't sign to, to Mike Wan. Obviously he sold it very well. And, and his vision wow. was what was what we wanted to see. But we, you've got to think of it. It's like the LPGA vision as well. So, um, and also if you think, I mean, he came over in that November, but then he's not been able to come over much, has he? <laughs> he's not been able to affect stuff and uh, as much as he probably would have liked to. So unfortunately we didn't maybe see the best of the relationship at the moment. So in my opinion, it's still quite young and it, it can only get better. And it's got to be a plus for somebody coming into that role as commissioner to have our tour, I'm sorry, the LET tour. I still say our, yeah, as as part of it. Because, you know, like this world tour, it'll come soon enough. Um, and, you know, if you talk about all your Americans on the LPGA as much as you want, but the LPGA is a very international tour. And uh, yeah, it's, that's what it is. It's, it's, golf is a world game now. So these two tours coming together, I think is an opportunity for a new commissioner, which probably Mike didn't really get the opportunity to make it thrive. <laughs> um, very good points there. Yes. Uh, let me, uh, throw this out to you you get to be commissioner for a day a week or the commissioner for a year what would you do bethan if you had that role what are some of the issues you would make uh decide on or issues you would bring to the table well i mean the thing that kept mike one up at night was television so um i don't have any answers for that but i'd find somebody who does (laughs) uh to get on network tv more um you know I, i think it's funny, Amy Olson, and I was just talking to her last week, um, brought up a point that I talk with Karen Supples a lot about, and that's data on the LPGA. Uh, there's, or lack thereof. Um, it's really hard to tell the story of players and show how good these women are when there's no data, there's no shot link. There's, I mean, it's, it's, it's actually a pathetic amount of stats that there are even for players to be able to compare themselves to other players and see where, how they can improve. But for the average fan to appreciate uh, and follow along, you know, all you can do is hit, hit refresh and look at a scorecard. <laughs> there's, there's not much else to see why somebody made an Eagle or, or a triple. Uh, so from a fan engagement standpoint, from a, a storytelling standpoint, you know, to be able to invest in that is, is a huge thing. Uh, I, you know, I looked at what happened to Popov last year. I've been a huge advocate for an automatic top 10 rule. So that if you play in an event, you're a non-member, you finish in the top 10, just like the PGA tour, you're automatically in the next event. There just aren't enough avenues to, to keep fresh talent and to put a spotlight um, on on fresh talent as they, as they gain momentum. Um, you know, I think, I think they, that just 
hasn't been emphasized enough, in my opinion, over the years um, to be able to to capitalize on that, because that's what people get excited about that sort of thing. They want to see Sophia Popoff play in the next major. They want to see that young rookie, Alimi No, who just nearly, or she wasn't a rookie, but a teenager who nearly won an LPGA event play the next week. You know, they want to see that. So um, those are things that have bothered me for a while. <laughs> yeah, and, and I can echo that, that the pop-off thing really grated on me. It grated on a lot of Europeans. Um, you can see the traction that it got um, from uh, the guys supporting her. Like it just doesn't help itself. Um, um, so it's maybe just that little bit of flexibility. Um, LPJ tour is really hard to get on, but it's pretty hard to get off as well. So um, that would be <laughs> my like the, the freshening up of um, you know. The, the lifetime members, the Hall of Famers, or like just to keep keep the opportunities better for the youngsters coming through. And then obviously from working in the, the media with it, it's sharing great, these though. players' stories. So you, all you hear, like, like the guy go, oh, I love watching women's golf. It's so relatable. But is it like, are we making it relatable, really? Are, do we know much about the players? Like you say, do you know how far they're hitting it? Um, like the opportunities now is, you know, mic them up, get, get the stats better. I mean, I remember when I was on tour and strokes game was like kind of just coming out and I worked a lot with, well, don't do it anymore, but Phil Kenyon for many years, cause he only lives down the road, putting stats. And he would say to me in the nicest possible way, your strokes game putting, I've only got a comparison right now against the PGA tour and you you aren't BGA tour standard on your putting. Like the greens aren't as good, you're not as good. So I would like ask players, do you want to share some stats? Do you want to and it, it was just nothing. There was nothing to you had to make them up, like do your own stats. And then players were quite reluctant to kind of share them. It's fair enough. But as a tour, it's it's what people wanna see and and yeah, just data is is king, isn't it, in the world that we live in now. So um, yeah, I would totally agree with you right there, Batam. There's, but, but for me, change the pop-off rule. In fact, like in football, we have a Bosman rule and now we want I want a pop-off rule because <laughs> that was yeah. one of the most, like we call it Debbie Downer. Like what a Debbie Downer Mike Wan put on that. Like that's one of the only things that I just did don't agree with. Even his press conference, I was like, I'm not, I'm not into that. Um, and I feel like she's just got a little bit gone over on a few occasions last year and if the girl didn't have such a good spirit it would be quite easy to think god yeah, I'm open champion does this even mean anything mm-hmm. Amen. true true very true uh one of the things I noticed when covering the KPMG and particularly the USGA I was very impressed with the uh, level of statistics that they came out with um now I don't know um from a player's perspective uh Sophie or Bethan, if you see it a little more uh, on tour, but I thought it was uh, excellent that the USGA, for example, had proximity to the hole for the approach shots of the players and things of that nature. The very framework basis for being able to have a strokes uh, a strokes game um, statistical model to judge yourself on, and I just thought that was fantastic. I can't find that on the LPGA site if it exists. Um, it does, but I think. 
Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. I was going to say, I, I, I couldn't think, I didn't think it did. I just thought, you know, that's one thing. The USGA is such a detail-oriented organization that they've got all these statistical models out there. And I thought, well, that was really good. You know, because if somebody was enterprising enough, they could take all that statistical data and come up with at least a strokes gained uh, um, metric for the uh, U.S. Women's Open in Houston. And, and it would have been difficult, but doable. And uh, I really liked that because you could really see the strength of iron games and things like that on the players. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the bottom line. I don't know what the big fat number is. I know it's pretty big, but I don't know how big that the PGA tour pays for their um, shot link for their information. But I do know that the KL PGA has a, you know, it's a more rudimentary thing, but, but, but you can follow along. They have a lot more than, than the LPGA does. So, you know, there's got to be a happy medium here. We can't, you can't deliver what the LP, I mean, what the PGA tour has, but, uh, but right now it's essentially nothing. I was going to say, sorry, what do we think it is? Is it just monetary? Like we just don't have the funds in order to put it in place to get the stats, like a company to come in and just get all the data for us. Is that the biggest thing? Yeah, the, the trouble is with this, it, it's how do you get the data? So on the mail tours, the caddies put the data in on the European tour. So the European tour, the caddies get paid, I don't know if it's 45 quid a day or something by the tour to put in the stats of the player. And then on the PGA tour, the, the, the shot link is done by... I don't know if it's a volunteer, but it's somebody that goes around with each group. So there's there's manpower in there. So when I was on the Players' Council way back when, stuff was coming out like Arcos, Game Golf, that type of um, device. And I said, well, wouldn't it be cool like if we all just carried one of those and then somebody could just go on an app and we could do it from a smaller like smaller, but then grow and, and, and get on board with an Arcos 10 years ago or a game golf 10 years ago and grow together and learn together. And, and players were so reluctant to do their own stats. There's a massive block right there. Like, uh, uh-uh, you know, that, that doesn't happen. Um, even to the point where you would say, uh, we're going to give you a mobile phone device to put the scores in live. No, no chance. So the players do need to be a little bit more flexible in that, in that way as well. Um, like when they go, oh, I don't want a mobile phone. It's like, oh my mm-hmm. God, you're on your mobile phone 24 seven, you know? Um, so the, I think the the manpower is a problem as well as getting these people on board, but that's where players might just need to get on board with this as well um, and make the product better. Right, right. But that's an avenue that the new commissioner can go into. Let's yes. shift to the upcoming so. uh, Olympic mm. Games, Solheim Cup and some of the issues to look forward to issues, events to look forward to this year. Um, obviously for me, I, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm sitting here wondering Tokyo Olympics, are they going to even happen again this year? Um, just what things are going on. So anybody hearing anything out there a little bit more? Or, I mean, I, I see in the UK athletics, they're all out there training, um, getting ready for it um, to happen, but I don't hear much discussion about it in the golf world. So. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I talked to Annika a couple weeks ago, you know, she got her email that, you know, cause it came out during the tournament of champions that there wasn't going to be an Olympics. And then, you know, they came back out and said the next morning there will be an Olympics. So, um, you know, that was the last I heard from Annika, um, you know, just a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, everybody's just kind of planning ahead as if it's going to happen, but I mean, it's, it's just a wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I think from a golfing point of view, it's it's not as big a deal, like because it's it's in the schedule anyway, isn't it? And then that that's just the way it is. It's not like you're waiting four years of your life to get this thing on, like if you're track and field. So I think from a golfing point of view, if it's on, it's easy because we're playing golf week in week out, and then that's already in the schedule. Um, so it, it's not probably as much in the the minds of of a golfer as it is as it is, um, I don't know, like an archery or shooting or anything like gymnast. Personally speaking, I can't, I just can't see this thing being on. Um, you know, these villages, these, these Olympic villages are massive. Um, and it's like being in halls of residence at university. I don't know what you call that over there, but dorms, dorms. Yeah. So these, um, (laughs) so imagine the food hall, the food hall is 400 yards long and about hundred yards wide. And there's a couple of them, I'm sure. So all these people, and then going to Japan who are probably, I would, I can't imagine the Japanese will be too pleased with everybody coming in, you know? So I, there's definitely not going to be crowds. It's going to be, if it is on, it's athletes only. Um, but I, I just, it, for me, I, I just can't see it going. Can't see it going ahead unless you vaccinate the the um, athletes, which has been spoken about in Britain, um, and they it is they are talking about putting them up the list, but obviously not to a priority. So it's they're not going to go above people that really need this to stay alive. This is a lot more than than a sport right now over here else all the footballers that play Premier League would have already had it you know but they haven't so um, yeah but if it's not on this year it never will be so yeah I think as a golfer it's kind of it's not that big a deal yet I know Imby thinks it is and I know Justin Rose thought it was and it's you know really added to his career but I think if it is, it'll be easy enough for the golfers, just like a normal tournament. They're quite used to being in COVID bubbles. But for me, I just can't see this thing going on. It's the biggest show on earth. And yeah, I didn't know that. that um, I didn't know that England was talking about um, vaccines for their players. But now that you bring that up, I feel like it would be extremely unfair for the rest of the world, like the third world countries and other um, areas that don't have access even to the vaccine just yet to it's almost like the first world countries because we have access we can get all of our athletes if it's gonna be a big uproar anyways if even if all the athletes in Canada get it before the seniors or whatever the, like the protocol is but I think it would be extremely unfair to every other athlete in the world if they do not live in a first world country that has access to the vaccine. So I agree with you. And I didn't realize, I completely didn't even think about like the dorms and where they eat. And it's like little communities. It's having like a little Mm -hmm. city within a city. So yeah, that's a great point. I feel bad for whoever in Japan is 
in charge of this and the committee that's in charge like can you imagine working for the olympic committee or if you're in japan working for their local committee working for the olympics every day someone's telling you yes no yes or let's think of like every option in the world and you're just i feel horrible for them <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely don't envy that um yeah <laughs> quickly any thoughts as to if the olympics was to be played who some of the favorites might be i mean i i kind of circle hinako Sh- uh, shibuno just kind of wondering if you know maybe that home crowd might take her to well if there is a crowd <laughs> it's not gonna be a crowd <laughs> There's a crowd. It's the tvs Social okay media. knowing that she's playing at home and playing for the country or something like that <laughs> The, the course in Japan is a huge golf course. It's long, really, really long. Um, so it, it's going to play to length and it'll, it'll go on normal form. Yeah. Like it's not, it's, it's like maybe, maybe like major form, I think, because it's, it's still important at the moment. Right. Like it's, it's still a gold medal, but you know, I think it'll be more the people that aren't there. I mean, think of the South Koreans, like, there's going to be some of the top 10 players in the world that aren't even teeing it up. Right, right. Yeah. 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 Good point. Which brings us to the Solheim Cup. How about that? Um, <laughs> another event uh, scheduled for Inverness later this year. Uh, any thoughts, early thoughts? Uh, we've had some captains uh, announced and appointed, so that kind of gets the ball rolling a little bit. Yeah, I'm very happy with our captain. Beanie. She should just do it forever, as far as I'm concerned. Then he felt that way about Julie Inkster, too. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, what about uh, Renee, uh, Renee Powell, captaining the, uh, the women's team? Oh, that's, that's the junior. Juniors, yes, sorry. Yeah. I caught that. I caught yeah. that. My apologies, yes. I was looking <laughs> at big. that. But it's a start, is it not? Uh, Great way of starting to integrate the game a little more. Well, not integrate. That's a poor word choice. Um, starting to open it up a little bit more to uh, non-traditional coaches, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it's Renee Powell and Annika Sorenstam. So the junior Solheim Cup captains are are as as interesting and uh, and important, uh, you know, people in golf as the, the 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 main Solheim Cup captain. So um, so yeah, that'll that'll be a, a, a tremendous opportunity for for all the youngsters to be able to play for Annika and, and play for Renee. And, and I hope they ask lots of questions and really take advantage of of that chance. Um, but, but Pat Hurst, of course, has been, uh, Julie Inkster's ass captain as Julie calls them <laughs> a number of times. So, uh, so she'll, uh, she'll be in the, the head, the driving the bus this time with, um, it'll be interesting to see if Angela Stanford is a playing captain this year. Uh, she's of course just one at the end of 2020. Uh, and then Michelle, we, uh, who we don't know when she's going to come back and play, but apparently she's going to play at some point in 2021. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, so I, I, mean, I don't anticipate her being a playing captain, but uh, certainly a fun dynamic for, for the American team. Are there any players out there you think that might be eyeing the Solheim Cup and who aren't quite in contention or need to do some things this year in order to be in contention, whether it be uh, qualifying through the normal procedures or at least um, shine a light on them for potential captain's pick. Yeah. I mean, some, somebody like Bronte Law didn't, didn't have a great season season last year. Um, nice to see a shoot a low one actually the other Sunday at um, Diamond Resort. So that's, it, they're, they're the type of players like a Bronte Law that you think 
Solime is definitely on her mind, 100%, probably every day of her life. So, And she will really want to be in that team. So you can see her having a lot better season than uh, than she did last year, that's for sure. Um, and then, like I talked about, like Emily Pedersen, you know, the Solime Cup ruined her for a good two years um, and she's got redemption and she's spoken about, yeah, I want to get in that team, but I want to make a difference in that team. I want to win a few points and win the cup. So it's a really nice mentality change for her. Um, but it's just going to like Anne Van Dam, I think as well, is somebody who potential has always been there, but needs to start doing it on the bigger stage. Has just moved coach Sean Foley. Um, is home game, isn't it? Like Nona. So she, I'm expecting her. I don't know if I'm expecting her to have a good season. I'm not quite sure yet, but she needs to have a good season. If you know what I mean, this is the time for her to, to really start stepping up and showing everybody how good a player that she can be. And Beth, and let's give you the last word on Solheim. Yeah. You know, I think I, I'm hoping to see some new faces on the team this year. Uh, I think Jennifer Cupcho would be a fun addition. Uh, you'll let me know, um, you know, at the same time, Stacy Lewis is born in Toledo. It'll be interesting to see if she plays her way on or, or gets a captain's pick and, you know, Katrina Matthew has has six captains picks and right now Pat Hurst has two. So it's a it's a big difference in how the teams are gonna be um put together. Uh so right now it looks like haven't heard anything in terms of uh you know the US um there's a committee actually that makes that decision. Pat would like to have more picks, but the committee hasn't met or hasn't announced anything. I don't know what it is, but um but yeah, I mean, Christy Kerr might need a pick. <laughs> you know, it, might, it might be another very different looking team this year. Um, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see how Pat how Pat goes about it because you need some veterans. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to chatting with you again soon. And uh, a lot of uh, golf coming up for this season. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. You are listening to We're Talking Golf, produced by the World of Golf. This episode was recorded on February 2nd, 2021. If you have an idea for a future show, please send us an email to info at worldofgolf.org. Please include podcast show in the subject line. This show is the copyright of the World of Golf. Thank you for listening. Good night. <laughs>